illuminating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to Friday. Welcome to the weekend. It's The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It's July the 21st, 2023. So much to talk about today. Tony Bennett passed away uh, this morning. Wow, we're going to talk about that later on. But first, I want to get this out there. This is an amazing story. It's really how Jesus can really say, blessed are those who mourn. And sometimes that, that seems like a paradox to us. We're going to figure out why it's not. 888-914-9149 is the number to call right now to talk to me for free on the show. 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, klcale at relevantradio.com. And thank you, all of you who emailed me, uh, congratulating me on my third anniversary at Relevant Radio yesterday. Uh, it was great to hear from you. And you too can email kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So i got, I got to start with this. I, I saw a, a really interesting piece uh, by Laura King writing in the L.A. Times about what's going on in Kiev, in the Ukraine. And the, the article is called Sleepless in Kiev, in Ukraine's capital, the stress of war weighs on everyone. How do people cope? How do people cope? And one of the things that uh, residents of Kiev and a lot of other places in Ukraine are not getting is sleep. And in fact, a full night of sleep is, is very often something that people can only dream of because of air raid sirens that are blaring all throughout the night and, and the possibility of an attack. And in fact, uh, over the last couple of months in May and in June, more than 200 uh, Russian missile, missiles, projectiles were shot down. They, I guess they kind of have something akin to the Iron Dome uh, set up uh, like they have in Israel. In Ukraine now, they're able to shoot down a lot of uh, Russian rockets, but the pace of attacks is just unabated. And so very rare for somebody to be able to get a full night's sleep uh, in Kiev and a lot of other places. And so Kiev is uh, hundreds of miles from the front lines of the battle right now. That doesn't mean that they're out of reach, of course. And on a recent Saturday in June in Kiev, five people were killed when debris from a missile that was actually intercepted by defense systems. Uh, nonetheless, all this debris hit a, a residential building, a multi-story building in Kiev, and it basically incinerated two floors in that building. Masonry came plumbing to the ground and into stairwells. Like I said, five people passed away. And on June the 27th, closer to the front lines, uh, a very popular restaurant in the eastern city of uh, Kramatorsk um, landed at, at the dinner hour. In fact, the restaurant was packed. 13 people died, including four children and a very prominent young Ukrainian novelist, with many others being injured as well. And so people are having a very, very hard time coping with this, as, as you might imagine, the stresses of war. Uh, they interviewed a, a 65-year-old resident of Kiev named Larissa Lapshina, and she said, you don't want to dwell on it all the time, the possibility of a missile coming for you, but you'd be crazy not to worry about it. And when you worry about it, you can't sleep. You can't sleep. And I, I'm a bit of a, a worry wart by nature. I've never experienced something as horrific as this, but... But we all know that if you're deprived of sleep, um, 
it can create a lot of stress in, in the body, in, in the mind, and really in the soul as well, because uh, we are very holistic creatures, aren't we? And being in a constant state of stress, I've read a little bit about this recently, it can cause a buildup of cortisol in your system. It's kind of the stress hormone that's released when you're under pressure. And it is just not good for the body to be uh, in a constant state of stress and distress and fear and worry and anxiety all the time. It can literally take years off your life, cause heart attacks and all kinds of other problems. But in Ukraine, it, it's not the kind of place traditionally, uh, as the author explains, Laura King, it's not, the, it's not the kind of place where people openly talk about issues like mental health, psychological well-being. Uh, someone else who was interviewed for the piece was Alyona Gerasimova, who works in public health. And she said that people here tend to think that they should just be able to cope on their own. They, they should be able to cope with it. They shouldn't need any uh, outside help or, or, or anything like that. They just kind of have to grit their teeth and get through it. Uh, they interviewed a, a, a firefighter named Alexander Rachiev. And recently he said there was a, a pre-dawn strike that took place and a family realized that there was a, a drone, a military drone that had crashed on their roof and it was armed and the family came out, ran out onto the street. They were wearing their pajamas. They were terrified. And this firefighter, firefighter Alexander Ratchev said, you have to be able to look people in the eye and tell them it's going to be okay. They were, they were terrified the warhead was going to explode, but thankfully... Uh, they were able to disarm it, and everybody was safe. They kind of distracted the the couple's young children. They were four-year-old, eight-year-old boys, and they kind of showed them all their... The firefighters showed these kids their trucks, their gear, and while they were trying to distract them just from the fear and, and the anxiety as they removed the smoldering wreckage of the military drone. And, and this firefighter, Alexander Ratchev, when he goes home to his own family, he doesn't talk about... What, what danger or tragedy he just encountered on his shift. He, he just talks about good things that happened, a happy ending in this case, without talking about the terrifying experiences that might have taken place five minutes before. He said, I don't want to bring the war home to my family. So how, how are other people coping in Kiev? Well, very interestingly, for a lot of people, it's through dance. <laughs> There's people, other people will have late night snacks, they'll take walks in one of the city's mini parks, they'll sit in cafes, they'll talk about anything. And during the daytime, it's, it's mostly safe. The attacks happen at night. They'll talk about anything except the war. But for a lot of people, they go dancing. The younger set, they will go to the clubs. And clubbing was not exactly something that was happening when the war broke out uh, last year. It was, you know, just really didn't seem appropriate. But now that things have been dragging on and on, um, people are going back into the discos, into the dance clubs in, in Kiev, and, and maybe it's helping them to cope. Maybe it's helping them to, to be less stressed. Any, any physical activity is a great stress reliever, obviously, but uh, clubbing was a no-go before, but it's kind of made a comeback. Community, togetherness, and in fact, a lot of soldiers will go into the clubs, and they'll, they'll kind of open up earlier. They'll open up at about 6 p.m. when the sun is still out, because obviously later at night it, it gets a bit dangerous, but um, the soldiers will even go dancing because they're stressed out. Um, they need some sort of a release. But even older seniors in Kiev are doing the exact same thing. At the other end of the generational spectrum, across the Dnipro River, you'll find Ukrainian seniors dancing to the oldies. 
And in fact, they interviewed a, a, a couple that's certainly young at heart, Michaelo Yahal. He's a, a dapper 85-year-old, according to the article. And he's got a, a brand new 70-year-old girlfriend. They're both widows. And they met five years ago dancing in this park at an evening dance, much like the ones they're doing right now. And and he said this. He said, when I hear bombs falling down on the city, I feel dizzy. You don't forget about the war when you're here, when you're dancing, but you are distracted for a little bit at least. And he was actually the, this guy who they interviewed, Mikhailo Yahal, who's 85 years, years old now. He was uh, just a toddler when the Nazis were occupying Ukraine during World War II. What about those who live in some of these buildings that have been hit? Well, they interviewed a few people, Elena Stelcheno, uh, Andrei Zuravel, uh, who are 38 and 40 years old, and, and they live on the, in an 11th floor apartment. And one particular night at about 3 a.m., an enormous boom uh, sounded, and they knew that they'd been hit. And seven floors above them, it, missile debris had torn through the walls of this high-rise. It's in Kiev's western district. Uh, several apartments were absolutely obliterated. A fire was touched off, and five people were killed. And it was days before the bodies were recovered. They checked on their elderly neighbors, um, took their dog, and, and tried to just get out of the building and, and be safe. And they can't go to sleep anymore at that hour, at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's the time that the, the rocket hit them they're wide awake and they'll probably be that way for a long time so they just go to sleep when they finish their shift at work it's the only time they can really close their eyes and Kiev is about the size of Chicago people don't don't understand how, how big it is and and it can be a big city and you think well the odds are probably against my building being hit but it, it obviously does happen and so just people are on edge all the time in Kiev and another respite for some people is in the pages, in the pages of books. And uh, last year, Kiev's annual book fair, which is one of the biggest in the entire country, uh, was shut down. It's held in a huge complex known as the Arsenal, which was built uh, to be a weapons depot originally years ago, but now it's a space for the arts. Uh, and it was canceled last year because of the war, but this year it was on. And in fact, even President Volodymyr Zelensky showed up with his wife, Olena, and and people would pick up books, and they'd, they talked about how important it was, importance of cultural events, that they, they have to keep this going, even in spite of the war. And one of the uh, books that was on sale at this showcase was the posthumously published diaries of a very, very well-known Ukrainian poet and children's author, also named Volodymyr, Volodymyr Vakulenko. And he was tragically abducted last year during Russia's occupation of the eastern city of Izium. And they later found his body uh, in a mass grave. But he, they also found his diary, and it was later published. Um, so the literary piece, finding culture somehow in the midst of all this tragedy, is another way that people are trying to cope. And one person, a, a high school student named Valeria, uh, who was volunteering at the book fair, said it's crucial not to let numbness take hold in the face of war, in the face of fear. And she said, quote, sometimes when I hear the air alert sirens, I don't even react. I don't even react. But then I say to myself, I'm alive. At least I'm still alive, and so are the people I love. That is a reason to keep going, end of quote. Yeah, a very interesting article in the LA Times about 
dancing in Kyiv, uh, even in spite of the air raids, uh, trying to keep hope alive in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a lot of mourning. And amidst uh, all, all the different ways that these people were interviewed, ways that they're coping, dancing, literary pursuits, just trying to talk with friends and, and trying to celebrate the goodness that they have. Not one person in the article mentioned drawing strength from the spiritual realm. Some, uh, many obviously do, but they can, and, and so can we. And, and after the break, I'm going to try to answer that question I asked off the top. How can Jesus possibly say, blessed are those who mourn? In, in, in the light of all the sadness and tragedy that we can face in life, how can Jesus possibly say, blessed are those who mourn? We'll be right back on The Kale Clark Show after this quick break, 888-914-9149. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program on this Friday, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, klcale at relevantradio.com and find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. We're talking about this question, how is it that Jesus can possibly say, blessed are those who mourn? We looked at how some Ukrainians are coping with mourning and stress uh, in the wake of the ongoing, which doesn't seem to have an end in sight, the war with Russia. And in our everyday lives, there are lots of battles as well on many, many different fronts. Well, the second beatitude of the 10 beatitudes of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, yeah, there are 10, not eight. I like to say that. But the second one is blessed are those who mourn, Matthew chapter 5, verse Four. That seems to be a bit of a paradox, at least uh, on first glance. But Jesus, again, he's drawing from a lot of biblical tradition here. He's not pulling this stuff out of thin air. A lot of this stuff is based on salvation history, things that God has revealed before, because God always acts the same way throughout history. And in fact, if Jesus was really, really coming out of left field, not too many people would have thought that he would have fit the profile of the Messiah. One of the great books in the Old Testament where you see something similar is in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and he is absolutely key. Isaiah is key to understanding this, the fact that gladness and joy can coexist with mourning somehow. And and really this can only happen supernaturally. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, it says, Comfort all who mourn. And then later on, in the very... Uh, next verse in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, it says, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. And then if if you flip forward a little bit, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 10, It says, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn over her. Again, that seems like a paradox. How can you rejoice in joy 
with those who mourn. Well, this is what the second beatitude is all about. Blessed are those who mourn. And and actually this combination, it shows up a whole bunch of different times in the Old Testament. Look at Genesis chapter 37, verse 35. Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2. Jeremiah 16, 7. Jeremiah 31, 13. I'm going to get to that in just a second. First Chronicles chapter 7, verse 22. Job 29, 25. And the list goes on, but... But I want to really focus in on Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 13. This is really relevant. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. And I thought that was really interesting in light of what we were talking about. One of the ways people were coping in Kiev is by dancing, you know, even with the threat of air raids, uh, sirens going off all the time, the young will dance uh, in the discos, the, the, the older folks will dance in the parks, they dance, they will rejoice in the dance, and somehow they are comforted, but not the kind of comfort they can get from God, that's on another level, this idea of getting gladness in return for sorrow, and then, by the way, this whole section in the book of Jeremiah is all about, in chapter 31, the redemption of Israel, the renewal of Israel, the restoration of Israel. And, of course, people were hoping and praying for the Messiah to come and bring about that renewal. And one of the names for the Messiah, by the way, that the rabbis used to have for the Messiah is Menahem. Now, I don't know if you know anybody named Menahem, but it's a, it's a very common uh, Jewish male name. And it actually means comforter, comforter. And it comes from the Hebrew word Naham, which is, uh, you can find that actually in some of the verses we looked at earlier, Jeremiah 31, 13, Isaiah 61, verse 2. The rabbis used to say, what is the name of the Messiah? His name is Comforter. Comforter. And of course, we know the Holy Spirit is often uh, called the Comforter as well. The Church of the Holy Comforter. And no, uh, that does not mean you should pull the blankets up over your head on Sunday morning and those holy blankets. No, it's not the holy comforter God wants for you. You got to get to mass, everybody. You got to get up and get to mass. But but the comforter uh, is the Messiah, really. And so this is, a, this is what Isaiah was prophesying about and Jeremiah was prophesying about. So in the last days, the righteous would be comforted by the Messiah. And that's, that's the job description, really, of Messiah Jesus. It's in his task to comfort his people and, and somehow be able to give them blessing even when they mourn. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149 is the number to call if you have some thoughts on this. I read another interesting uh, piece along those lines. It was written by uh, Dr. Chris Castaldo, and he talked about how when he was, uh, really around the time his, his son was born, um, they discovered he had a very serious medical problem. In fact, he had severe hemophilia, and you know that a disease causes a lot of bleeding. And the doctor uh, looked at him and said, he, he, this is what he has. And he's like, are you sure? And as a dad, you know, he was just feeling helpless. And the doctor said, yeah, I'm absolutely sure. And so Chris Castaldo said that a lot of life happens before you're really ready for it. And when you get that piece of bad news, when you get that diagnosis that you, you weren't expecting or that you were fearing or that other piece of bad news, whether it's a loss of a job or, or a breakup or war is breaking out, 
and your heart just drops into the pit of your stomach, your, your mind is searching for meaning, it's very, very difficult to find any kind of rational explanation in those moments. And, and he said that for him, he was just listening to the beeping sounds, which was kind of the, the ambiance. You hear all these noises in the neonatal unit of the hospital. And he couldn't do anything. He just felt completely powerless. But he said that really despair is not the end of the story. Whenever we're in mourning, it's, it, that is the occasion when God can kind of create new spiritual senses in us. It's a little bit like you know, Peter Parker discovering his spidey sense you know, after he's bitten by the radioactive spider. These situations can help you to experience God in a way that you never did before. A, a new dimension of the presence of God in your life. And it's when you're mourning. And it's when you're under pressure, and it's when you're under stress, and it's when you're sad. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he, talked about the, um, he talked about the famous work of the psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. You've probably heard of her, and if you don't remember her name, you probably remember what she called the five stages of grief, right? What's the first one? Denial. You know, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Now, this is not happening. No, nope, this isn't real. There's got to be some other explanation. You deny, deny, deny. So the first stage is denial. The second stage of grief is anger. You're mad. You're mad at the situation. You're mad at whoever might have caused it. You're, you're even mad at God, shaking your fist at the heavens. It's okay. God can take it. And then the third stage is bargaining. You know, maybe there's some way out of this. Maybe that maybe this isn't really happening. All kinds of inner self-talk that you try to do. And the fourth stage is depression. Or very often you're really low when you when you realize the the way things actually are. Things aren't going back to the way they were before. And then finally, that fifth stage is acceptance. So grief uh, is in five stages: denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And one of the things that Chris Costaldo said was that, you know, she is missing a couple things in her list. Blessed, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. She was missing blessing and she was missing comfort. But those, those really, that list needs to be expanded to seven, you know, at least, right? And uh, St. Jose Maria said, there's, there's another stage really where you're faced with the will of God, especially if it's something that, causes you to suffer it's not just accepting it, it's not just making peace with it it's actually loving the will of god how can you possibly do that well you can't do that naturally speaking but you can do it supernaturally and this is what jesus uh, has for us and so it's a gift from god so this idea of being blessed uh, in mourning so that you can be comforted that's not something you can kind of cook up on your own. It's not something you can grab. It's not something you can achieve. It's not something you can kind of work your way up to if you just concentrate hard enough. It's not an attitude that you can adopt. And I remember one book about the Beatitudes, which had a super corny title. It was called The Be Happy Attitudes. You know, if you just adopt the right attitude, then you'll have it. Fake it till you make it. Well, it's not altogether true. It's not just a way that you feel. It's, it's not just your, your emotions. This is a gift from God. God has to give it to you, and you need to receive it. You need to receive it, even when you're mourning. And this guy, Chris Costaldo, said he was teaching a course on Matthew's Gospel and the Beatitudes 
when his wife was pregnant, before his son was born, before he, he found out he, he was a severe hemophiliac, and he would always be in some sort of danger throughout his life. And he, he was preaching about this and teaching about this. And then he, he looked at his wife sitting in the front row, and she was very pregnant. He said, I, I don't know, if I ever get challenged on this, if, if something happens, maybe in my child's life, who's not even born yet, Am I going to be able to actually live out this peace, this this blessedness, even when the chips are down? And it's, he said he was talking to his students about something that he called the Upsilon vector. Now, what, what the heck is that? What, well, Upsilon, or Upsilon, depending on how you pronounce it, it, it's a Greek letter, the Greek alphabet. It kind of looks like the English letter U, a capital U. So just think, you know, it starts off at the top and then drops down into this big valley when you're writing that letter. And then it goes all the way back up again. It's like the letter U, but it's actually Upsilon. So uh, it's part of the Greek alphabet. When you read the, the New Testament in Greek, you learn this really, really quickly. So what's the Upsilon vector? Well, if you think about it, this is the experience of Jesus. Because Jesus obviously came from heaven, became incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and in St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, he talks really about how Jesus descended into greatness. He talked about how, though, he was in the very, he was in very nature God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant. We did a series on Philippians for the Faith Explained program. We talked about this. This is the famous, it's called the Song of Christ or the Carmen Christi. And Jesus emptied himself and became obedient even unto death, the shameless, shameful, ignominious death on the cross, shameful to all the others. What he was really doing was redeeming us on that cross, but <laughs> died, was buried. But then, of course, he rises again on the third day and ascends into heaven. So that's kind of like the shape of the upsilon, or, or like what we'd say looks like a, an English letter, capital U. You're up, and then you're down again in the valley of the shadow of death, and then you raise up again. And this pattern of, of Christ's life, death and resurrection, that's the pattern of our lives as well. And sometimes there are many periods like that in our life. It's not just the trajectory of our life as a whole. There are many times when we are down in that valley of the shadow of death, as it says in Psalm 23. And then God raises us up again. So it's this path of defeat, death, and then victory and resurrection. So th this is what happens, and this is kind of written into the universe, isn't it? Think about nature. Think about how the seasons change, unless you're living you know, down in the Everglades of Florida or uh, somewhere where it's really hot all the time. And, hey, I, I feel for you guys in uh, Texas and in Phoenix. It's been so hot there recently. I, and But in a lot of the country, obviously, there there is the, the four seasons, the changing of the seasons, and... When you see uh, the leaves fall, you know, it, it, and then the snow comes down, everything is kind of buried underneath the, the blanket of snow. But then eventually there is new life in the spring. Fruit is produced. And it's also found in, in Scripture as well. And so many cases throughout the history of the people of God, they're down and out, but then God rescues them uh, when they're disobedient, when they fall, and God lifts them up. Uh, just a couple of days ago, when we were uh, during the readings at Mass, looking at Genesis, looking at Jacob, right? How he is—he's—he's he's wrestling with with this angel, and he's wounded. You know, his hip is dislocated, his hip is wounded, 
But God, again, raises him up from that. He's kind of wounded from the battle, but he becomes Israel. He becomes strong. And, of course, this is what happens with Christ, who dies and rises again. And so we we have to have this happen in our lives as well. And so uh, this guy, Chris, Dr. Chris Castaldo, says that after his son was born, he got this this diagnosis which caused he and his wife to mourn that, that he had severe hemophilia. He was always going to be in danger at some level. He said, now I've got to apply this in my life. I've got to apply this upsilon vector. I've got to uh, apply this truth of Jesus to my life that we can be blessed even amidst this mourning. Uh, but the peace, the confidence, the strength that didn't come o- overnight. In fact, there were a lot of tears, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of mourning. But that's okay, too, because this, again, shows us that this isn't from you. You can't, again, work this up on yourself. God has to give this to you. And Jesus went through it, too. Before he went to the cross, what did he say? My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It wasn't easy for Christ, either. That was Matthew 26, verse 38. And so... If we don't have the cross in our lives, we really can't experience um, the resurrection either. And this is, this is the great fallacy of the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel that's so prominent in a lot of Protestant circles. Certainly not all. Many Protestants condemn this as well, this idea that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Televangelists in the 1980s used to proffer this false gospel. They still do today in many cases. So if there's some problem in your life, if there's some suffering in your life, if you're undergoing some sort of evil, it's because there's some sin in your life that's blocking the path of blessing. Well, that's diabolical. That teaching is from the pits of hell. The reality is we will have the cross in our life. In fact, one writer said, whoever is not a Crucianus is not a Christianus. Whoever does not have the cross is not a Christian because he is not like his master, the Christ. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, who, who wasn't a Catholic, but had a lot of Catholic sensibilities, he once said that everyone receives the cross in their lives, but Christians are the only ones who know what to do with it. We have to be willing to pick up our cross. We have to know how to do that. And sometimes we, we drop the cross. Sometimes we, we fall under its weight, uh, just as Jesus did on the way of the cross. And we learn how to rely on the strength of God. And, and that's when Jesus becomes Simon of Cyrene to us. As Simon of Cyrene helped carry Jesus' cross, Jesus comes and helps us to carry our own. And so we cry out to the Lord, and he does help us. He does help us. And so Dr. Chris Costaldo, with, with his son as he was growing up, he had this one experience where as he had this condition of hemophilia, he was trying to teach his son how to ride a bike. And I, I remember this very well in my own childhood. It was one of the most, it was one of the simplest joys in life. And there's a great picture uh, that's somewhere in a, in a drawer in my, in my parents' home. And, and I'm riding my bike on my own for the first time. And there's this just look of pure joy on my face. I'm actually doing it. And, and how my dad trained me, it was actually pretty smart. What he did was, and I'm sure many of your dads did this as well. He took training wheels, put them on my bike. And bit by bit, as I was riding on the street every night, he'd come home after work and watch me ride my bike. And bit by bit, every day, he would raise those training wheels up off the ground, just just infinitesimally, just millimeters. You know, I, I had no idea. 
And over time, he just keep raising them up and raising them up and raising them up. And one day I was riding my bike down the street and he said, Kale, do you know that you're actually riding without the training wheels? And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're still connected. And he's like, look, they're not even touching the ground, not even close. And that's when I realized, wow, I'm doing it. I'm actually doing it on my own. And that's when they took this picture and, and it's, it's really precious to me. And one of the most joyful moments is understanding, yeah, you can do it. It's, it's kind of like that in the spiritual life when we're carrying our cross and bit by bit, you know, God will, as a good father, he'll help us. And, and, and we're able to, to lift up those training wheels a little bit. And this is what Chris Castaldo said when he was trying to teach his son how to, how to ride a bike. And my dad did this too. He would just kind of, kind of walk along really quickly behind his son as he was riding. And in, in this case, it was pretty dangerous because if he did fall, that can be a bad deal. When your blood doesn't clot, it can be a dangerous situation. So he would run behind his son's bike, his arms outstretched, ready to catch him, ready to throw his own body onto the pavement to, to be a cushion to break his fall. And inevitably, one, one time he did fall, and he couldn't catch him in time. And, and thankfully... The damage was pretty minimal, and, and he, he picked up his son. His son was holding his hand, and he said, Man, this is a time when I just had a great spiritual revelation. How does God, how, what are God's thoughts towards us throughout our lives when we're, when we're dealing with things? And he, he lifts us up as well, and he wants to say to us, you know, Keep going, keep pedaling, get back on the bike, despite your fears. I know the bumps in the road. I know eventually you're going to wipe out. You're going to be knocked down by, by sadness or sin, mistakes. But don't give up because my grace is with you to the end. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We'll be right back on The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. San Francisco. High on a hill It calls to me Wow, that voice, the great Tony Bennett, passed away this morning at the age of 96. We'll talk about his life and legacy in just a moment. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. Nine one four nine. Well, we've had a great week on the show. Hope you have enjoyed it as much as we have here on the program. But in case you missed anything, well, I want to remind you of a couple things. Number one, you can binge listen to all the episodes, not only from this show, but from the Faith Explained program. We're doing a cool new series called Letters from Heaven. Check it out on the Relevant Radio app or wherever you grab your podcast. All the K.O. Clark shows are there as well, plus the Patrick Madrid show, The Inner Life, the Drew Mariani Show, Trending with Timory, Episodes of the Rosary, everything you could possibly imagine from all of the great programming here at Relevant Radio. Check out the app and download it. In case you haven't, download it now. And We've got some awesome surprises for you going forward. Hey, and by the way, while you're there, don't forget to go to relevantradio.com slash indie and sign up for updates about the National Eucharistic Congress, which is going to be happening in Indianapolis in July of next year. We will be there, and I cannot wait to be with 80,000 people live, and we're going to have a lot of fun, and most importantly, a lot of faith as well. It's going to be a great, great uh, experience of reigniting 
faith in the United States in the Eucharist. We need it badly. The whole world needs it. And uh, well, anyways, let's let's get back to the week that was on the Kale Clark Show, courtesy of producer Jim Shaper. Check it out. When you think about paganism, when you think about pagan deities, they either A, don't exist, or they are demons in disguise. It's one of the things that the Old Testament says. The gods, quote-unquote, gods of the Gentiles are devils. And, and there's no question that the evil one is behind Santa Muerte. So this is not something that Catholics should be involved in. We're going to go to a caller in Texas right now. Thanks for having me on the air, Kale. I spent about five years in federal prison. There was a pretty large group of devotees to Santa Muerte at the risk of being judgmental, would characterize as the sort of unrepentant criminal. The guys okay. that were devoted to Santa Muerte because they thought Santa Muerte was going to help them further their criminal enterprises, avoid their consequences. I agree it was very dark. They were very disturbed people. But I want to give a shout out to the radio because uh, thank God for you being there. We could hear your broadcast out of Austin. Wow. And especially hearing Matt on Sundays on Relevant Radio was really an anchor of my weekend. Thank you for mentioning that. And, and Relevant Radio was certainly a beacon of light in very, very dark time. There are a lot of similarities between Batman and St. Paul. In one scene in The Dark Knight, Bruce Wayne kind of takes off his shirt and you can see all the scars on his back, all the scars on his body resulting from his war on evil. And St. Paul wrote, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Let nobody give me any trouble. Nobody give me any guff because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Galatians chapter 6 verse 17. He suffered numerous stonings. He was stoned, left for dead. He was beaten. He was whipped with, with a whip. And he talks about this. He kind of goes through his litany of sufferings in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. He did all of this for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. Extreme measures. He really took extreme measures to combat the darkness. God promised Moses a land flowing with milk and honey. And it's not just about drinking milk and enjoying the sweetness of honey. The, the sweetness of, of, of our experiences with God, maybe you've had an experience of prayer with God. You get the sweetness of uh, just having an encounter with God that's above and beyond the norm. And those are these touches of honey that he gives us sometimes, I think, as a, as a treat to keep you going, uh, to, to make life palatable and even sweet uh, during tough times. And the more you know, the more, you, the more you're good with the milk, with the basics, the more you can take advantage of the specific sweetness of God's word. And he'll give you more. As Jesus says, hey, for those who have not, even what they think they have is going to be taken away from them. But to those who have, more will be given. So the more you seek God, you're going to find more. You're going to find more treasure. You're going to get more honey. It's always going to draw you in. I just love this image. I think it's great. Milk and honey. Yeah, milk and honey. We also talked about beer, too, not of the non-alcoholic type. Uh, that was a fun program yesterday. And thank you to producer Jim Shaper for producing the week that was. Love it. Love that. Hans Zimmer music, uh, all the stuff about Batman and the spiritual life. And yeah, the Santa Muerte cult, that was a, whew, a learning experience for me to see how prevalent it, it still is uh, in North America and in all the Americas, really, and even in stretching overseas. And uh, if you missed that episode, you're going to want to fill yourself in. 
by checking out the relevant radio app. You can stream those episodes. You can share them with a friend. Well, as I said just a few minutes ago, um, wow, the great Tony Bennett, who was born Anthony Benedetto, uh, passed away earlier today at the age of 96. He was only two weeks short of his 97th birthday, and he died in his hometown of New York City. Uh, No specific cause of death was given, but uh, as you probably are aware, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease back in 2016. And this guy had a career that spanned well over 60 years. It's unbelievable. And nobody really knew the American songbook or proclaimed it as well as Tony Bennett. And obviously he was very much influenced by uh, people like Bing Crosby, also Frank Sinatra, of course, Billy Holiday, Louis Armstrong. But his his tenor, and, and I read a piece about him kind of celebrating his legacy in USA Today. They called it a lush, gleaming tenor with a distinct freshness and a sense of yearning that served him well in his early hits like Rags to Riches. Uh, he covered Stranger in Paradise. Those are both released in the year 1953. But, of course, maybe his signature tune was I Left My Heart in San Francisco. We played a little bit of it. Uh, coming back from the break, but producer Jim, can you just hit a little bit more of that great tune? I left my heart in San Francisco, Tony Bennett. Let's let's check it out. May chill the air. I don't care. My love waits there. Oh man, I I could just stop talking. We just let this play. I mean, wow, just so smooth. He could bring this intimate, conversational quality to songs. Um, Elisa Gardner, Krista McGrath, writing in USA Today. Uh, they said that the way that he would read these American standards, like Fly Me to the Moon, just demonstrated how, how playful he could be, his wit. Um, but he could also really swing. He collaborated with a lot of artists throughout his career. And He's very famous for doing so with Lady Gaga in these last few years, but this started a long, long time ago. He collaborated with Count Basie, a lot of other jazz artists. Um, Landmark album was the White House Sessions Live 1962 with Dave Brubeck. Uh, Great, great, the great Dave Brubeck. And also uh, Bill Evans, he did a couple albums with him in the 70s. And he he would really just champion other artists. Way back uh, in the 1990s, K.D. Lang, a Canadian artist, Elvis Costello uh, worked with Tony Bennett. And and really what introduced Tony Bennett to newer generations originally was his 1994 album, MTV Unplugged. And in fact, that that version that we just heard from of uh, I Left My Heart in San Francisco was from the MTV Unplugged um, performance, live performance. And, and new audiences, new generations were, were just discovered him for the first time and even newer generations over these past few years uh, with Lady Gaga. But before that, he, he collaborated with Streisand, Paul McCartney, John Legend, Carrie Underwood. But again, maybe his best known collaboration was with Lady Gaga. And in 2014, they put up an al- they put out an album together called Cheek to Cheek. And then they reprised uh, their partnership in 2021 with Love for Sale. And they were both Grammy nominated albums and uh, they actually they made the, that last album, Love for Sale. It took them two years to make it, uh, from 2018 to 2020. And they kind of did it with some urgency because uh, 
Bennett revealed that he um, he had uh, been battling Alzheimer's since 2016. That's when he was first diagnosed. And here's a clip from that album, uh, Love for Sale. It's the famous Cole Porter tune, I've Got You Under My Skin. Check it out. I've got you under my skin. I've got you deep in the heart of me. You're so deep in my heart, you're really a part of me. I've got you, yes I do, under my skin. All right, so that was Lady Gaga and the great, the late great Tony Bennett. Now, Lady Gaga's got a lot of talent. You know, whatever you might think of her and where she's at spiritually um, is, a, is a great question. I do think she comes from a Catholic background. Her real name is Stephanie Germanata. And you, you can, like, find videos of her on YouTube. Like, in her early days, she was playing these clubs in New York City singing Led Zeppelin songs. And you'd never know that was her, but the talent was there. I mean, unbelievably talented, no matter what you think of where she's gone and... Uh, we need to pray for her, uh, of course. But, but Tony Bennett, um, one of the, one of the, the things that happened with him, and obviously he was battling Alzheimer's uh, during their partnership. Uh, the albums he made with Gaga, I think it, it's drawn a lot of attention to Alzheimer's and helped promote Alzheimer's research. And it, it's obviously it's a type of dementia. If you go to the Alzheimer's Association website, it'll say that it's a type of dementia that affects memory, thinking and behavior and um, the more we understand about this the more we can help people uh, who are suffering from this and in fact lady gaga talked about uh, making that album in 2021 with with tony bennett's health declining so quickly she said quote it was a gift it's a gift that i will hold in my heart till my last breath my time with tony has changed me forever frank sinatra said he was the best singer in the world and i don't think frank lied end of quote so uh, about a month before that album came out in 2021, uh, they performed two sold-out concerts at New York City's Radio Music Hall. At the time, uh, Tony was turning 95, and the show was called One Last Time. And that was really his last major performances on stage. And Gaga said, quote, it was absolute magic. I was so moved. I had to do a lot of work on my breathing because I wanted to cry almost all the time, end of quote. So he kind of retired from... Uh, performing uh, performing after those shows but um you might remember if you saw this at uh, the 2022 grammys uh, gaga did a tribute to him uh, singing do i love you and uh the, they were showing all these photos of them together over the years and uh, she kind of choked up and shed a few tears at the end of that performance saying i love you tony we miss you and they were nominated for record of the year for love for sale and uh, that album and cheek to cheek they did win Grammys for Best Traditional Pop Vocal Album. And in fact, Bennett won 19 Grammys over the course of his career. But a lot of people don't know that he, he had a, a great reputation as an artist as well. He, he, he did paintings that were uh, displayed uh, in, in very, very famous places. I'll tell you about that in just a second. He was actually born on August the 3rd, 1926 in Queens. He lost his father when he was a small child. Uh, his mother encouraged his singing at home. And he went to a, a school that's now called the High School of Art and Design. He studied music and painting. 
But in 1944, he was drafted into the U.S. Army. He actually fought in World War II and helped liberate a concentration camp in Germany. But he became a pacifist after this experience. And uh, in 2007, he put out an autobiography called The Good Life. And he said, anybody who thinks that war is romantic obviously hasn't gone through one, end of quote. He championed civil rights. He actually marched alongside Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma, Alabama in 1965. He was inducted into the Civil Rights Walk of Fame in 2007. He was recognized as a citizen of the world by the United Nations. And after he, after he got out of the Army, he used the GI Bill, and he, he praised the GI Bill and what it did for him to continue studying music. Uh, he went to uh, the American Theater Wing and had great, great teachers learn how to perform. And uh, his son became his manager, Danny Bennett. And he, his son, was Danny was really one who got him back into music in the 1990s, got him introduced to, to younger audiences. And you might remember him being on The Simpsons cartoon, and, and be, as well as NPV Unplugged. Uh, so really, really interesting. But his, his passion for painting, he painted under his birth name, Anthony Benedetto, and three of his original paintings are in the Smithsonian Institution, their permanent collection, including one that's called Central Park. It's an oil on canvas. And he had a portrait of Duke Ellington, the famous jazz performer, that was accepted into the National Portrait Gallery collection. So how about that? And he always said this. Tony Bennett said, I will never retire. He said, quote, no way, I'll never retire. I love what Duke Ellington said. Retire to what? End of quote. Well, when you do what you love, as he always said, you'll never work. A day in your life and uh i love listening to his music and i'm sure that sure that many of you did as well so tony bennett rest in peace we'll pray for the repose of his soul patrick alog we got to give the people an update on our open championship picks what is going on at well, boy lake well kale um your winner your main winner pick scotty scheffler barely made the cut at the number barely at plus it. three still but, alive but your your sleeper pick a uh, minwoo lee is that tied for fourth but seven shots behind the leader, though Brian Harmon, who's doing really well at minus ten, and well, then rain, and then my in, and then my sleeper pick, uh, Matthew Jordan, uh, tied for eleventh. Uh, so still in the mix, uh, still still doing well. And then uh, Cam Smith uh, is hanging in there, tied for 39th. So yeah, yep. we'll see what happens. A lot of rain coming in, mm-hmm. uh, as as you will always see, very, very more than likely at the British Open. So it'll be an interesting weekend. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Check the podcast if you missed anything. This has been the Kale Clark Show. I'm Kale Clark, of course. Who else would I be? Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.